0: You a healthcare professional who would like to hear from experts in the field of pain care? Or maybe you are caring for a family member who is experiencing pain or health challenges and you would like more information. Perhaps you are a healthcare educator who wants to better inform your students or staff. Then you are in the right place. This is Faces of Pain Care, the show where we interview experts in the field of pain care. And now, the co-creator of the Wong Baker Faces Pain Rating Scale and the Executive Director of the Wong Baker Faces Foundation, Connie Baker. Hello and welcome to Faces of Pain Care. I'm Connie Baker. Several months ago I learned about services available to rural communities that really caught my interest and I wanted to learn more. Hospitals in rural areas are critical to the communities they serve, but they are often small and unable to provide for all the needs of the population they serve. Ultra Group Healthcare provides expertise and support for developing and sustaining behavioral health programs for seniors. Today we have two experts in this field from Ultra Group Healthcare to talk about the services they provide and the needs they are able to meet. Sheila Frazier is a registered nurse with over 30 years of experience. In her role as director of performance improvement, Sheila develops and revises policies and procedures, as well as assisting new program development and improving existing programs. Wendy Riggs is also a registered nurse with a master's of science in nursing, focusing on nursing administration. She has a board certification in psychiatric and mental health nursing. In her role as director of clinical nursing services, Wendy provides clinical nursing guidance to the staff of these individual health programs, assists in problem solving, and helps to maintain compliance and improve quality. As you will hear, these women are passionate about their work and the individual, individuals and communities they reach. Sheila and Wendy, thank you for being with us on Faces of Pain Care. Wendy, please start us off by telling us about Ultra Group Care and how it began.
1: Sure. Autor Group Healthcare is a management and consulting company out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. We um, have two types of lines of services. We have what's called intensive outpatient services, which we call IOPs, and we have inpatient geriatric and adult uh, psychiatric units that are distinct part units for uh, hospitals. Generally, those are in um, critical access hospitals. Uh, We go in and we help open and manage those those units in hospitals. We are in, currently, uh, we are in eight states, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, Sheila had the numbers earlier, so I don't have (laughs) the numbers.
0: Sheila's the stat person, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And so... Um, so how did, how did Ultra Group get started? It, I mean, obviously there's a need in the rural area. Sheila, what do you, you, know, what, what do you see the need being, uh, in that population and, in and the rural hospitals?
2: Well, uh, when Ultra Group got started years ago with, uh, Mr. Kelly McBride, uh, who was a former CEO of a ho- rural hospital mm-hmm. and moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee and his, uh, I guess you could say expertise was he really liked rural communities and geriatric patients and he saw the need for behavioral health care for these individuals and so he started ultra group health care and that is what as Wendy said they focus on is the rural community area with uh, the senior citizens with uh, these programs being geared towards 65 years and older Uh, To help individuals who are suffering from anxiety, depression due to the loss of a loved one, uh, changes in their lifestyle, having to leave their home, go to assisted living or go to a nursing home. So these were aspects that he wanted to ensure that uh, they received treatment for. So uh, Ultra Group works with uh, Critical Access Hospitals, uh, setting up these programs because Critical Access Hospitals are very limited in uh, their financials. So they need to have uh, companies that are consultants that can come in and help them, who can provide the resources that they need that the hospital itself cannot afford to train uh, multiple uh, staff to do. So um, Alter Group assists in opening these programs and then we train the staff to uh, go out and educate the community, uh, the physicians as to what these programs are uh, for, uh, how to recognize, identify, and encourage individuals to seek treatment to improve their lives. Uh, it's not that, you know, they've been diagnosed with this illness that they cannot get care for. It says, Wendy put earlier, they've hit a bump in the road or they've hit a fork in the road and they've got to decide which way to go. Um, you know, uh, maybe they're not as mobile as they once were. So mm-hmm. uh, so education is the big aspect of uh,
0: ultra group working with the hospitals and the communities great so what kind of patients Wendy do you um, do you all try to focus on when um, you're you're working with this these seniors
1: okay so our main our main focus for our patients are folks like Sheila had mentioned that have had a bump in the road not necessarily chronically ill patients although we don't refuse chronically ill patients but our focus is not on a chronically mentally ill patient so these are folks that have for the most part been mentally healthy their entire lives and they've been kind of motoring on and something has happened. We've lost a spouse. We went from an entire home and now moved into a nursing home. We're down to a half of a room in a nursing home. Um, We've lost for all intents and purposes, our roommate and a cat. We've had a, an animal that's been with us for 10 years. And that's a big deal for someone yes, who has lived with is. just an animal. And, they, and, and and I know that sounds comical to some folks, but really it's, it's a big deal for some mm-hmm. folks. So these are folks who have had a major life change and are having problems coping with it. Mm-hmm. And so they're now having an acute episode of either anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying we're gonna exclude anybody that has a chronic mental illness. That's not exclusionary criteria. But that's not our main focus. Mm-hmm. You can't, for a lack of a better term, fix schizophrenia. You have to cope with schizophrenia, but that's not something that we're necessarily focusing on. I My typical patient is going to be someone who is in the later years of their lives, um, who has had a situation come up that they don't know how to fo- how to fix themselves. So I'm going along and I've retired and now I have no idea what to do with myself and so I start to withdraw and I don't know how to get out of a funk that I'm in And so I'm just sitting in my house with the lights off and I'm not doing anything. And I just keep withdrawing further and further. And my kids are worried about me. And now what am I going to do? Well, I'm depressed, but I don't recognize that I'm depressed. And especially if I'm a man, I'm not going to tell you that I'm depressed because I'm a man and I am not depressed because there's such a stigma attached to that silly word. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Which is what we get a lot of. I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Well, could you just come and chat with us with, with these other group of men that are fine too, well, I could probably talk to <laughs> it's you. Wonderful, yeah. I could probably talk to you. And as they start to talk and realize they're not the only person there in the world right. that has retired. And now they don't know what to do with themselves. They start mm-hmm. to develop coping skills. Well, I can do this and I can still do this and I can still do this. Mm-hmm. And they start to realize they still have worth in them. And within three to six months, which is our typical length of stay three to six months. Um, and by length of stay, I mean, we generally start off with like three days a week. They usually start off coming. We can start off at four days a week, but we generally, that's a lot of therapy because we go three three hours of therapy a day. That's a lot. Oh, you do? So we generally, yes, they do three groups of therapy a day. That's with a psychotherapist. Uh Then that's a a licensed clinical social worker or, um, and honestly, it varies state by state because there's different, for therapists, there's different letters they can have behind their name, depending on what state they're in. Um, But with a licensed professional, and then, so there's three groups of therapy a day. And then they spend a half an hour with a nurse every day doing a didactic educational group with a nurse which can range from medication education dietary education pain management whatever is on docket for that day Um, so we start off with three days a week generally and they titrate down as they improve so we go from three days a week down to two days a week down to one day a week down to what we call graduation when these folks complete treatment it's a big deal and we make a big deal out of it oh, awesome. i'm talking cake celebration some programs go as far as giving them diplomas mm-hmm. um with this age population some of these folks didn't graduate high school they had to drop out to get jobs to support their families they only went through the eighth grade so this may be the only graduation they've had and so we make a oh. big deal out of it
0: oh. and to see their
1: faces light up when they get that diploma is just worth the price of admission
0: yes, so many that's times great, over windy. i love so, hearing um, that
1: So we, that's what we do. So they, they titrate down to, to graduation and they go out into the world, hopefully with better coping skills than when they came to see us.
0: Oh, that's super. Well, I think just having that support and, and other people in the community and just knowing that you're not alone is, does probably a whole lot. What are you going to say, Sheila?
2: Well, I just wanted to add also is it doesn't end with their graduation. We do what we call aftercare. And so the program staff contact that patient for every month a year after they graduate to ensure that they are not having issues something new has not occurred Uh, they may have fallen fractured a hip or had a heart attack Mm -hmm. and so they may need a little boost so they can we can bring them back into the program and get them over that and then send them back out we just don't drop them after graduation oh that's wonderful
1: and we also have informal gatherings called alumni days now this this depends we're just
0: gonna say what about the alumni yeah
1: yeah we have we do have alumni (laughs) gatherings and this um now these pro little sidebar these programs are not canned they are based and tailored to each hospital so each program They decide how they're going to handle alumni days some programs do it monthly some do it quarterly some do it annually but what an alumni day is it's like a class reunion anyone that has successfully completed treatment is allowed to come back now it's on usually on a non-treatment day or after treatment has completed for that day so that current patients are not there so there's no hipaa violation but they're invited back Um, some programs just do cookies and coffee i know of a program that has barbecues they do them quarterly because of the expense but they have like hot dogs and hamburgers and, and potato chips and everybody gets together and it's, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you since the last time. How are you? Well, I'm great. Well, how are your grandkids doing? Uh, And so there's still that support group there. And some of these folks make lifelong friends and they continue to see each other outside of the programs.
0: Fabulous. Oh, that's, that's, I love that. So Sheila, talk to me a little bit about what's it like going into a new um, community for you all how do you go about educating the people you've, we've mentioned that there's a bit of a stigma around behavioral health at times, um, maybe, you know, especially in the rural areas, how do how do you get around that and, and, and get the real buy-in from the community?
2: Well, first of all, uh, when the programs start up, uh, you know, we go through the interview process uh, to make sure we assist the hospital in interviewing the staff, and we want to help them choose the right staff that we know are going to be uh, a team to work with these individuals. And once that's in place and they're trained, then uh, we help them do marketing. Uh, we do radio ads for their program. We uh, educate them on uh, about going out to uh, uh, the Kiwanis Club, or to uh, all the the hospital board meetings to meet all the physicians the psychiatrist uh, comes on board and goes to the board meetings and will meet the uh, all the other uh, physicians so that they can have a rapport built there so that when he calls them about a uh, something about their patient they know who they're talking to it's not a total stranger um, also they will uh, have take pizzas to physician offices and uh, do like a, a third 30-minute presentation to all the physician staff in their office Uh, they do community events they go to senior citizens they may have a booth at the fair County Fair uh, to educate people on uh, behavioral health issues Mm -hmm. uh, to do away with the stigma church functionings, uh, just numerous opportunities within the community that have events going on that they can participate in. Uh, I know of one program that attends uh, their local county has what they call an RECC, which is a rural electric, and they have a big event every year in June uh, with entertainment. So they make sure that they have a table there where they can do blood pressures, where they can talk to patients, uh, give them information about medication, hand out uh, medication information, uh, information about uh, behavioral health. Um, and so they do a lot, they go to the hospitals and they uh, you know, teach the, uh, prog- or the hospital staff about behavioral health. Even though that there are nurses and there are doctors, we have a tendency to get in a rut Of the department that we're in x-ray focuses on x-ray lab on lab you know down the hall just the way it goes you know ICU surgery so there's times that we need to bring them all together and focus on everything so a lot of our little rural hospitals now have what they call little mini health fairs inside their hospitals where the departments give presentations on what they do and then they figure out how that all the others can fit in and help each other mm. and so these programs attend these and uh you know educate them on the behavioral health what they have to offer for the geriatrics and how that decreases admissions how that decreases er visits you know uh we're here we're working with you on their medications you know so it decreases doctor visits so become part of the team
0: yeah that's, that's uh, the yeah team building it sounds like you're really drawing everybody together so that they can work as a a unit and collaborate. That's fabulous. And Connie,
1: I would, I would like to also add that we start from the very beginning with this as well as the program names. We really think and talk to our hospitals about the names. We tend to shy away from anything that says behavioral health Mm -hmm. or psychiatric services because of the stigma. Mm -hmm. We tend to focus on senior. Instead of geriatrics, so a lot of our programs are such things such as senior life solutions. So it doesn't sound as scary. Um, and that's a, a pretty typical one. A lot of our programs choose senior. We have a list of names they can choose from as examples. they don't absolutely don't have to use those. But one of our more creative hospitals chose self. S E L F and it's seniors enjoying life fully. Oh, so that's the name I of like their that. program Is mm-hmm. self and, and all their brochures say seniors enjoying life fully. So it makes mm-hmm. it less uh, scary for their seniors. It just so we start off from day one with the name of the program, trying to make this less intimidating and to lessen the stigma so that it's more acceptable mm-hmm. for these folks to come in. Mm-hmm. So one like of the other things? Oh, oh go I'm ahead.
0: Sorry. Well, I one was just the gonna other say, Sheila, hold on just a, um, a minute. What I, I'm so impressed because, um, you know, in smaller hospitals, you just can't have experts in everything. And so you all are able to bring your expertise in, but you're, you're not saying you have to do it my way. You're really encouraging them. You're giving them the tools that they need to be able to create the program that'll work in their community.
1: Absolutely. Because if they, exactly. If
0: right. they don't own
1: it, it's not going to work. Right. I can't come in and tell them how to do it. They have to invest in it. Right. I will support them in every way I can, but if they don't own it, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's their
2: community and they know it Uh, that's one of the reasons we also encourage them to have a big grand opening and invite the whole community to come in and see the space this we also encourage each of our programs to make the space very friendly very uh, light colors very uh, up-to-date uh, nothing dreary, nothing, you know, like an institution. Mm-hmm. It's very relaxing, lots of windows, sunshine. We really promote that. And as Wendy said on the names, some of them have been very creative. I mean, we have Tranquility. We have Focus. We have, you know, just different names out there, To And it goes for each community. And the individuals that are hired to be in that, the staff, mm-hmm. they are part of that community. And so we want them to work with their community and make it
0: theirs. Right. Oh, that's fantastic. So how are families incorporated into the programs with seniors? Are, are they involved in, and in what way?
2: Yes. We encourage the patients, families to uh, come there when we first bring them in mm-hmm. to meet with us, to walk through the unit, to see uh, how it is set up and how it functions. Uh, We do family sessions. We do individual sessions, group sessions. we just really encourage the family uh, to be involved with their loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be a team effort, which is, includes the family.
0: Yeah. Well, if there's a if there's a change in the matriarch or the patriarch or, you know, the seniors in the family, it affects the whole family if, oh, if yes. they're connected at all. So, um, so that's really a wonderful thing. So speaking of the families, um, if they pick up, on problems with their, if a, a daughter, for instance, picks up on a problem with her, one of her parents, what recommendations would you give to that family member or even a senior themselves, if they're realizing they're just kind of um, more depressed or more anxious than they used to be? What what steps could they take to get help and find out, um, get more information, do you think? We, uh. Well, I guess the best way
2: to answer that would be is that we tell them, um, okay, you've
0: presented to us or have they come to us? Is that what you're saying or No, if if I'm sitting at home and I'm concerned about my mom, oh. what's my next step? What, you know, what what is my next step step if I'm in a rural community? Um, you know, one thing I can do is get on the internet and see what's out there. Um, yes.
2: Then get on the internet. They could look up like Ultra Group Healthcare, mm-hmm. which uh, is the uh, facility or the organization that we work with. Mm-hmm. They can look up behavioral health for senior citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would uh, give them some ideas. Uh, there's a lot out there on the internet. Uh, they could look in their uh, state, start with their state organizations. Uh, you know, put in you know behavioral health uh, for senior citizens in, uh, say, Oklahoma, Illinois, Kentucky, uh, Indiana, um, and then that would give them a whole list that they could uh, research. Mm-hmm. Um, Community wide, you know, they can look in their telephone book. Uh, I know a lot of people still have I se- have cell phones, but There's a, a t- lot of our seniors still have book? phone books. <laughs> yeah. Ha <laughs> ha! So, but they could look in the telephone book for local uh, organizations. Uh, they can contact their primary care physician. They can contact, you know, some of the local ministers or counselors, and so they know of resources in the area. So there's uh, multiple th- uh, individuals that they could contact to begin with, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, my first suggestion would be if I was a daughter is, and I started noticing these, I would probably start with my mother's physician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And say, "This is what I'm noticing." You know, where can we take her, or is there anything that we can do to help her, mm-hmm. and start there.
0: Mm-hmm. Good. And it may take going through a few different people or checking into different organizations before you get get exactly what you need. Exactly. Exactly. And there are because... other organizations like you in different areas of the of the um, the United States, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's uh, I mean, because it has been identified. And so there is a great need. So there's organizations who are stepping up and uh, providing the services that's needed for our seniors. And to go back to what you said, you may have to go through several steps. It depends on how your parent or loved one is receptive to, you know, they have to sort of be more accepting Mm -hmm. and at first as wendy mentioned earlier especially like our males they are like i'm not depressed you Mm -hmm. know there's nothing with me you know even though that they may have lost their spouse or as wendy said a pet you know i know for example of an individual lost her husband she immediately got a dog so she went through the coping of her husband's death pretty good but she totally fell apart ten years later when her dog died. Oh. I mean, totally fell apart. And she had taken all of her grief and put it into the dog, mm-hmm. and that's how she coped. But then when the dog passed away, mm-hmm. and she she made the comment, she said, "I grieve more for my dog than I did my husband," mm-hmm. because you know, it's it was just her coping skill. So until they reach that point, and you try to seek help for them, you know, you just you're just going to have to go through different alternatives, different uh, resources until you find the right fit. Mm -hmm.
0: Great. So, Wendy, tell me um, what other things would you like to talk about with this program, particular stories perhaps that, that you've seen that really made a difference in people's lives?
1: Well, I started with these programs as a program nurse. So I was boots on the ground. So my very first experience was this was as an actual nurse in one of these programs, and one of my very first patients was a retired nurse herself. And sometimes nurses are the worst patients. Um, so she had, um, she had had some severe anxiety issues and she had not driven in probably 15 years. Now I'm from a very rural area in Southern Illinois. So, um, it's, I don't, we don't, and she's from the same area. We don't live in an area where if you need to go to the store, you can just walk to a couple blocks to get to a, a grocery store. It's a 20, 25 minute drive to get anywhere that has any kind of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she relied fully on her husband. So when she first came in, he had to bring her every day because she would, we do, our programs do provide transportation um, in the form of either a hospital van or a public bus. She wouldn't do that. So she, he had to drive her in every day. Uh, he had to take her to the hairdresser. He had to take her to the store. And she was very withdrawn. Um, she would crochet during our sessions. So she would pay attention fully and mm-hmm. respond when asked questions, but she wouldn't even look up. She looked down the entire time crocheting. And it just was, it, Took a lot to get through to her, but by the time she was done, she was driving everywhere you could possibly imagine, engaged with everybody. She was picking up some of our other folks and taking them to their hairdresser appointments because they couldn't get out of their own. Um, I ran into her in, in our local Walmart a couple months after she had graduated. Now I will say I never acknowledge my patients outside of group, and I've told them this from jump. I'll never acknowledge them first. I always smile, mm-hmm. but it with the confidentiality. She walked right up to me in the middle of Walmart, gave me a big old hug. Oh my God, I haven't seen you in forever. The most outgoing person you could possibly imagine. And I see her still. No, That would have been five years ago because it was when we very first opened that program. To this day, she is still out and running around and she has told me multiple times, you saved my life.
0: Oh, that's a fabulous story, Wendy. Thank you for sharing that. And And that reminds me of something we talked about earlier, Sheila, you had mentioned that Um, one, you all have these graduation, um, days and, and that's a big deal for most of the programs, but it doesn't stop there.
2: No, after they graduate, uh, we stay in contact with that patient once a month for a year after their graduation date to ensure that they've not had any issues that have come up that has, uh, set them back any uh whether it be surgery whether it be a a death in the family uh or you know uh maybe they're not independent anymore um we stay in contact with them and then we can bring them back into the program if the need is there and help them get over that
0: hump and get back out to where they were that's great so and it seems like that in the part of this in the process of being in these programs that they are learning about lots of different resources that they could call on if they need them um, afterwards. In addition, Wendy, you talked about um, how people get together in these groups and they really, there's a camaraderie that they realize that they're not alone. Tell me a little more about that.
1: They form their own support group. Now it's never forced, um, you know, we, we do encourage them to, to speak during group, but it is never forced that they do anything outside of groups together. And actually it's encouraged, um, that they don't form any kind of intimate relationships while they're in group together. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but they will form, it's almost like a sisterhood and a brotherhood. It's almost like, I hate, I've never been in combat, but let's just say it's almost like a band of brothers. They've been through this together. You know, we've had, we had a what I call a me too group happen one time. And I, 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 the first time I saw it happen, I almost wanted to to cry um sexual abuse is not disclosed amongst the the, this population and it was not talked about back then like it is talked about now it was so taboo um we had a a a group of females one day uh, just it happened that way it wasn't planned we just happened to have no males in in the group that day Mm -hmm. and um one it didn't start out as a sexual abuse group it just happened to come up and that's how this usually happens Mm -hmm. it happened to come up one particular female happened to mention that she was abused by her father and three other females in that group it was me too me too me too yeah. and by the end of the, I'm gonna cry thinking about it by the end of the group it was just they and they bonded so strongly they thought they were the only one each one of them thought they were the only one in the room that that had happened to and to find out there were four females in the room that that had all happened to they just and they, you could just they, something magical happened in the room that day and those four females bonded And that was it. And they just became the fastest of friends. And I know a couple of them lived in the same area and they still go out and have lunch together every so often. So it just, it just happens. Mm -hmm. They, they lean on each other. They become each other's friends. And some of these folks didn't have any, you know, some of these folks were down to their friends are dead. You know, they may be the last of their group and they don't know, they don't know where to go. Uh, You know, if their, if, if a woman and her husband have always socialized together and he's gone passed away or divorced because sometimes divorce happens late in life and now she has no idea where to go to make new friends that can be a big bump in the road for them and so they come into these groups and they and they form friendships and that's how they get back out into life
0: Mm.
1: one thing
2: I would like to add also is uh, the groups are fantastic and you know things will they like she said they will uh, mesh there and become uh, even more together But in our programs, we encourage that they eat meals together. They have their meal, noon meal together, and the staff eats with them. Yes. And it is amazing what comes out during the meal. They're relaxed, they're eating, they're laughing, they're talking, and things start coming out during the conversation that may have never come out in a group session. And so the therapist is there, the nurse is there, so they pick up on this and they know to carry on. You know, carry it through with the treatment. So that is a very big positive. And then a lot of our uh, individuals may not have food at home, mm-hmm. so you know we ensure they have snacks. We ensure that they get a noon meal. Hmm. And... I just lost your sound,
0: Sheila. I... Um. Hold on just a minute. Wendy, are you there? I am. Can you still okay. hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. I don't know what happened to Sheila. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. There you are. I don't. Okay. Who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so, <clears throat> okay, let's, we'll, we'll just, we'll just edit that out. But, um, but you were just talking about the, um, the importance of having the food, the meals together and, and. And that's where I mean, having meals together is so important. That's that's for families too. I mean, that's where we we kind of let down with families, friends, and and relax a little bit. And we were able to talk. And what what I hear you saying is that in those settings, it may give uh, an opportunity for new things to explore to help help the patients further. Exactly.
2: And, you know, and as I was saying also, is that some of them may not have extra food at home. So that provides them with that meal that day and then if they have leftovers or extra snacks they send home with them so they'll have something for supper that night Um, they also when the patients are admitted you know they we do evaluations and we do assessments uh, all uh, the professionals the psychiatrist the therapist and the nurse and you know these are opportunities where you can identify if they're malnourished uh, you know and then get dietary consults for them so or if they need physical therapy um, so there's, you know, opportunities there to just make sure that this in, these individuals are getting the full scope of care that they need.
0: Well, I'm I'm just so impressed by all of this. I'm excited about what you're doing. It must be meaningful work for you to be able to be having such an impact in these rural communities. What? So, Wendy, what does it do? Or Sheila, go ahead. What does it do for you to oh. be able to be in, in that role? I love it. I love
2: geriatrics. I love the senior population. Uh, I learn something from them every time I interact with them. Uh, I just feel that it's a wonderful service and to be a part of that service to provide to them uh, is just the goal that I have as a nurse. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. How about you, Wendy?
1: Pretty to piggyback off what Sheila said. the geriatric population has my heart. Um, when I very first started as a nurse, I was in med surge, um, and so I took care of a, a broad range of, pa- of patient population. And I just, I just gravitated towards the the elderly. I just felt that they appreciated nurses more. Um, I just felt like they, they. I hate to say this, but they almost deserved more. Um, They didn't tend to complain as much as some of the younger patients. They'd have way more going on, um, and and so much more heartache going on. And and but they never want. They were so more such. They were so more stoic than the other patients. And so I just gravitated towards the geriatric population. And then honest to goodness, it was just a comedy of errors that led me into a geriatric psych unit as a, as a nurse. It was gonna be a temporary thing. I was going to go there until another uh, med surge population opened up on, a, on the hospital that I was going to.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: And that was the only unit that had an opening was the geriatric psych unit, and I thought, I can do this for two or three months, and then I'm out of (laughs) here, and the very first day I was there, because this was an inpatient unit, not an IOP, but the very first day I was there, um, there was a window that looked into the nurse's station, and this little old lady knocked on the window, and I turned my head and looked at her, and she licked the window, and I just busted out laughing, and I thought, this is it this is where I need to be. And I just, I
0: just, it was, that was I don't know. It was,
1: like it was, it was like, this is where I need to be. And I walked up to her and I just started talking to her. And I just thought, these are my people. Like, um, not necessarily window lickers, but yes. they, just, they, <laughs> There's stories like I have taken care of. I took, I took care of a lady one time on the inpatient unit that was one of the very first female Marines ever in the United States when the Marines first started letting females in there. Wow. I have taken care, there There was a uh, factory in the town that I grew up in that made cereal. Um, and he invented a cereal. And it was on the store shelves in the 1950s for nationwide for years. And I thought, you just don't get these stories when you're taking care of the younger folks. Right. And so I just gravitate towards the
0: geriatrics. And you know, Wendy, not everybody gets a story when they're taking care of the geriatric people either. So it takes, it takes people who are paying attention and uh, everybody mm-hmm. has a story. It's important to know that when we're taking care of people so that we can really, tr- you know, honor who they are as a person, but treat the whole person.
1: And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Connie, because when I'm talking to folks, even in the IOP, and like I said, we do, we do have inpatient units, the ultra group managers too, and, and inpatient is where I started, so I tend to go out and train the inpatient nurses. I want them to look past the behaviors these patients are currently having, because the behaviors they're currently having are not those patients, and they I do not see. define patients. That's right. So if that patient is yelling and screaming and throwing things, even if they're at the late stages of dementia, that's not that person. Mm-hmm. That person is somebody's mother, brother, sister, mm-hmm. dad, they served their country, they ran a factory, they did, that's not that person. And that's right. what I strive to teach these brand new nurses coming in is, that's a behavior, not that person. And it's so not personal. No, yes, we <laughs> <have>. <laughs> thank you. That is one of my big soap boxes. I teach a phrase called Q-tip. Q-tip is quit taking it personally. Oh, good. You need to have <laughs> that run through your head when mm-hmm. they smack you. Q-tip, Q-tip, Q-tip. Mm-hmm. Quit taking it personally. They, they're not doing it to you.
0: Every day. And Every day we all pers- need to be doing Q-tip. Mm-hmm. We need to be doing Q-tip. That's, That's right. For sure. Now, now, we haven't talked about dementia. Um, you just mentioned um, dementia. You, you're focused more on anxiety and Um, depression, maybe in the people that you're working with, but sometimes that is a precursor to dementia. Is that an experience that you've had or...
1: Yes, and in our outpatient units, and our IOP units, we can take folks that are in the beginning stages of dementia. Mm-hmm. So as long as they can remember from group to group and day to day, dementia is not a precluding factor. That does not mean that they cannot come in. Um, when they hit the late later stages of dementia, When because we're not senior daycare, and that's sometimes some of our programs fight that notion when they first open. We're not respite mm-hmm. and we're not daycare. Okay. Um, So because some of our physicians think, oh, good, this is so because we're open from generally eight to one thirty ish. And so some people think oh, they can just drop mom and dad off here for a few hours and get some respite. Um, But they have to be able to engage in programming and remember tip, not verbatim, but the typical concepts from group to group and day to day. So in the very beginning stages of dementia, when you still have enough cognition to realize that you're beginning to lose your faculties and you're beginning to lose your memory, it's a very depressing time.
0: And I mean, you
1: you still absolutely you still know enough to know you're losing it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so we can help with that. But once you've progressed to the moderate to late stages, when you can no longer remember, you know, your name or your family's name, then that honestly, you're you're past the point where we can help you.
0: Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Sheila. Did you have any other comment on that? No, I think uh, Wendy summed it up very well. Okay. Well, you guys, this has been such a treat to visit with you. I'm, I'm so uh, delighted to hear what you're doing for people in the rural community and, and really s- supporting and empowering uh, the people who are working with this population. Um, I just, my hat's off to you. Um, people can find out more about your organization at ultragrouphealthcare.com. That's ultragroup healthcare.com. And, um, we'll also put on the episode page, the, uh, emails for both of you so that people can yes. contact you if, you, if Absolutely. Uh, they have any questions. Um, and so basically that's it. Any, any final comments? We just appreciate you
2: letting us do this and oh, appreciate have- you for all that you do in your organization. Well, thank
0: you. It's been my pleasure. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Please visit our website at wongbakerfaces.org or email us at wongbakerfaces at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for making a positive difference in someone's life. This has been another great episode
1: of Faces of Pain Care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And be sure you check our previous shows for more information that will keep you informed and inspired.